My name is Craig Perry. I'm one of the producers of Final Destination 2. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to the commentary as you watch the movie. And I'd also like to introduce down to my right, uh, David Ellis, the director. My name is David Ellis. I'm the director. Thanks for watching. I hope you guys uh, enjoy the ride. This is Eric Bress, one of the co-writers of the movie, sitting over here. And this is uh, Jonathan Gruber. I am one of the co-writers. And uh, yes, thanks for watching the movie. This is Craig Perry. It was kind of nice to be able to even make a second movie. The first movie came about, uh, Jeffrey Reddick had an original sort of idea that was an X-Files, and um, you know we sort of worked with him on a treatment to turn into a feature, and uh, then Morgan and Wong, who wrote and directed the uh, original film, came on board, reworked the idea, and uh, came up with the very notion that death was an unseen force. And I think that's the thing that sort of broke open the sort of imagination vault for the entire franchise, because you could just do multiple different combinations of that kind of a... I guess you could call it a character, or at least that kind of a, a phenomenon interacting with people. This is Jonathan Gruber. Well, that's why we took the job when it was offered to us. We were just like, well, at least it can be kind of like a Twilight Zone. It was something more. It's a lot of fun. And said so with the Rube Goldberg sort of setups of the deaths and stuff, that's where it was like interesting and and the sort of spiritualness behind it it wasn't just your normal yeah guy in a hockey mask running around killing you so well there's a theme yeah. the theme yeah. is you know it, 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 it's not the bad versus do unto others as you would have others do unto you but you know how you live your life is going to come back to you and the way that the first people in the first movie started this ripple effect you know the interaction you have with people you never know how that's going to impact them or you so you might as well take the right steps to do the right thing this is david ellis what I thought that was so cool is unlike the hockey mask, I mean, you know, once you see the guy, then it's just a chase until the guy gets, you know, the girl and stabs her. But what's cool is the death could manifest itself in anything. You, you're always looking for it, but you never, hopefully, you never knew where it's coming from. This is Eric Bress. I think we were really successful in that people know that we're, we're trying to fool them. So they're intelligent, they want to think ahead of you and, and sort of outwit the filmmakers. But I think in every single case, we managed to keep them fooled every step of the way, which, you know, I thought was a real victory. And just, uh, the, I just love this whole franchise because it is different. It isn't the hockey mask. It's really a completely new twist for a horror movie. It's no, it's like it's, original. It's, it's a proactive horror movie. You're not just sitting back waiting for the slasher to get the girl. You're sitting and trying to figure out how is death with its multiple ways is he going to get it, figure it out. The other thing that was challenging, I think, for this movie, and I'm sure the writers will attest to it, is the boatload of exposition about the rules that we had to get out. And uh, this scene particularly is designed to establish some context for what the hell's going on. There was a lot of time spent uh, making sure that the rules were solid and connected to the first movie and everything was seamless and logical, and audiences seemed to uh, beg to differ on that one. And they, didn't really, <laughs> they didn't care yeah. one way or the other. They don't really care. They just want us to kill somebody. Exactly. <laughs> but I will say this, that we did actually work rather hard to try and make it sort of dovetail back to the first one and provide at least uh, an acknowledgement of the rules established. And do we, there is an order to things. It does actually make sense. But there was a lot of sequences that were actually boiled out of the movie where we did a lot of explaining. And the audience was just like, you know what? We get it. People are going to die. It's going to be cool. Let's go. We're clarifying the first movie and then adding on top of that. So you've got rules on top of rules, and everyone's like, let's just see people die. <laughs> <laughs> like these people. <laughs>
It's funny, you spend a lot of time writing certain things, and you're like, wow, this is so clever, so clever, so clever. And then you get into an audience, and you see the more clever you are, the more they're just like, I'm hearing words. Let's kill people. <laughs> What's going on? I think we were just going like pretty much like, well, how could we take the first movie and then elevate it to the next level? And just so we just sat around in uh, Eric's apartment trying to think of great ways of people to die and <laughs> try to outdo each other. You walk around the city literally just staring at all the things that can go wrong. Cool. <laughs> we come back to this location a bunch of times, and what I love about it is you'll see the, the mist coming out of the uh, exhaust there. It was so friggin' cold. It was snowing. <laughs> yeah, for one time we had to stop yeah. shooting for an hour because it was just almost a blizzard. Oh, that's when it snowed. Yeah. yeah, we went yeah. Up the... mm -hmm. So, you know, going to spring break when it's snowing is really not a good thing. Okay, now check out the small stunt driver in the first car. Very small, can barely see over the wheel. Yep, there you go. There he goes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Canadian stunt guy. Yes. He is great. He is great. Oh, easy, Kimmy. That's his real ride. weed. <laughs> <laughs> this was shot in Vancouver, right? Yeah. yeah. This is actually Vancouver Island. We actually were fortunate enough to get about four and a half miles of uninterrupted highway that they shut down for us. So every car you see on the road there is a car that technically we own and we were controlling across the board. Whatever. Well, this movie is a perfect movie for the critics to just jump on, and a lot did, and then a lot of them got behind it. You know, we had really mixed, we had some great reviews from some of the biggest um, outlets, and then we had some that weren't so great. You know, but it's a perfect movie because you start thinking, oh, you're going to cheat death, and death's going to come back, and the whole concept of it, um, they just don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody gets your because art. as far as we're concerned, it, it's doable, you know, and it works. Mm -hmm. Well, I, interestingly enough, there's a uh, there's a website that collects all of the reviews across the country and puts them on this thing called the Tomato Meter. And uh, I went on recently and was interested to find that in terms of our rating compared to the first one, the critics actually appreciated this movie better than the first one as an overall score. I think the main goal of making a sequel was to take it far crazier and hairier than the first movie could be, which, I mean, generally doesn't happen. Generally, there's that trap of making a horror movie sequel, and it's... Hey, now. Yeah. Not that. Hey now. Look whoa, at whoa, that. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I forgot everything. <laughs> In the first movie, they were a lot smaller. <laughs> we went for big. Bigger. Big. Much bigger. Big, big. Everything bigger. You know, I, well, the point is that you know, making a sequel, particularly in a movie that uh, had very specific things that the audience reacted to, like the kills, like the way that they died, the fact that there was like a Rube Goldberg-like contraption about the way in which they died, we knew we had to have as many of those as we could. And, of course, the bus hit from the first one is a rather famous moment. And without duplicating that ten times over, find different variations on that kind of impactful scene. While at the same time, speeding it up, keeping it going fast. And with a 30-car pileup, seriously, the carnage is immeasurable. It just is perfect for opening up a sequel. Just to give props to David, I think as writers, we set up certain things here like the, uh, the joint going on, the windshield wiper and things like that. But when it came to this huge, immense crash that's coming up, we had one sentence, the carnage is immeasurable, mm -hmm. <laughs> which doesn't really give much detail. Mm -hmm. So it was really all David who came up with the incredible crash that really is cinematic. <clears throat> It's the History. signature. Yeah. That's uh, David Ellis at uh, Endeavor Agency. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started my career a long time ago, 30 years ago, as a stuntman, and then 
progressed to stunt coordinator and then second unit director. And right before this, directed second unit on The Perfect Storm and Harry Potter and Matrix 2 and 3. And that opened some doors, which ev eventually led to meeting Craig and getting this project, which was cool. And when he said stunt, he was the man. I encourage everyone to turn off the disc right now, go online, <laughs> go on IMDb, check out what David Ellis has been up to. Yeah, every every major action sequence the last 15 years is memorable. Well, he pretty much directed it, so it's what Daddy asked And before for. this, the best highway sequence ever was to love and die in L.A., which you did. Yeah, that was fun. We had about 200 picture cars that were just constantly going around and around and around. And then we had the camera and the other cars with the actors in it on a tow rig. So we could just sit there and do all the coverage leading up to the actual crash itself. People talking, getting sort of up to speed with who these people are so that when the crash comes, there's a little empathy for them. The actor that uh, was now shouting profanities out the window, we were shooting cement dust out to sort of duplicate the exhaust. And um, it was actually getting all over his face. So. We kind of had him keep doing it and doing it, and after a while we realized we couldn't use any subsequent taste because he was looking like Al Jolson in The yeah, Jazz Singer, okay? He was in sleep blackface, and he didn't realize this, so we said, oh, just let's do a few more takes of the last couple takes. I mean, he's completely dark and doesn't know it, and he's like, his tongue, his teeth are gray. It was really, really funny. This, that was real cocaine. Just, yeah. <laughs> So Jonathan Cherry could just really get into this part and be, mm -hmm. be paranoid. His eyes are actually much smaller than that. Yeah. <laughs> what? Now, one thing, this next, this next shot um, coming up after this is sort of the sequence of cars all going down the order. And the night before we started the sequence, and David and I sort of found ourselves with Gary Capo, the DP, and Tony Ellis, uh, his daughter, on the floor of his hotel room trying to figure out how these cars would be in order and making sure yeah, that it making would Yeah, making sure it was right. That was pretty... Now... My dad has many questions about this, so, <laughs> David, how did you do this? Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> that guy, he was great. That great stunt, stunt guy, really, you know, he was great. We knew kind of the order that the people had to die, so it was just trying to be creative and having two lanes of highway that you could really use or going across to the other lanes and trying to make each kind of event a little bit different, but still incorporate the logs as kind of, you know, the roadblock. First you play with your little cars and work out the choreography, and then you do storyboards based on what the action's gonna be and how you wanna cover it. And then you work with the special effects guys and the stunt guys to prep the cars and for safety for the crew and for the stunt people. And then you just go out and ex execute it. So you had little matchbox cars. Oh yeah, yeah, we had our little cars. It's very high tech. It's really high tech. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, they actually... but it works, oh, God, you yeah. know, because you can kind of go, okay, this guy's going over here and he's gonna flip like this. And... Now, look at this stunt girl's hair in this next shot. It's uh, really Yeah, nice. it's one of my favorite shots. Yeah, people right. really, they get, uh, right? There, oh, there, there, yeah. See, she, they... she was great. She was really tough. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We couldn't let her wear a helmet because we would have seen it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, all this fire in the foreground wasn't there. That was digitally added later. Really? Yep. 
the explosions, David, I think they obviously they were practical stuff. Yeah, they were practical and then augmented with uh, visual effects. Like this wall of flame was augmented. <clears throat> we had a huge wall of, of flame, but um, big winds during the shooting of that sequence, which flattened the wall oh, yeah. of flames. Yep. That, the entire uh, thing on the right there with the trans car transport, that's all digitally added later, too. He, again, he did some great work, like that shot. <laughs> we had a really talented stunt coordinator named Freddie Heiss, mm -hmm. and also a very good second unit director named David Barrett. That's David right there at the window. <laughs> <laughs> He's also an actress. The one thing I have to say, though, is uh, um, uh, Joe Bauer, who was the effects supervisor, was incredibly creative and came up with dozens of small touches throughout the sequence that, to me, really added to the reality, like putting the face of the cop inside the car just before the, uh, the log smashes through and a whole host of other little details. Being kind of old school, I like to do things practically, if we can, because <clears throat> I just think that they look so much better. But with the logs, certainly they just didn't did not work when they fell off the truck they just went blah you know so we took or a did, little or didn't fall off or the di truck. didn't fall off the truck 10 times <laughs> but um so we took a little creative license with how they would interact with the road and did that with cg logs um the rest of it besides some wire removal or some green screen composite shots is pretty straightforward you know it's not the kind of picture like the matrix or something where you're totally pushing the envelope with what the new visual technology is. But at the same token, I think what you're doing is using it appropriately as a tool. Right. So that you're not creating entire landscapes in CG, but what you're doing are adding enhancements here and there that take what is real that we captured and sell it just a little bit more so that the interaction between the real and the CG is so much more seamless because you don't have to buy this, like a CG alien running around or a right, CG well, car. You have to be careful with visual effects with what you can do and what you should do. You know, because you can do almost anything but to keep it real and to make it look real in this world because this is supposedly a real world and unless you get into a matrix world where you can just go crazy then you have to it's a fine line Michael Landis is the guy that we're looking at, and uh, we were very lucky to get him. We didn't have that role cast. Uh, we were st supposed to start shooting on a Monday, and on Thursday the week before, we didn't have anybody cast in the role. So just by luck, he became available. Um, the executive from the studio was at the agency, saw him. We had him go audition. We actually emailed um, as an attachment his audition up to Canada. And we said, great, bring him on up. And he literally arrived on set having not even read the script. He said, okay, where are my sides? What am I doing? What's going on? So uh, we got very lucky by having Michael sort of become available at the last minute. Come on. Possibilities. Come on. Oh, fuck this. I'm gonna get this and we're gonna go. I thought an right here, this is an interesting casting choice. This guy, this character is Eugene, played by T.C. Carson. And originally in the screenplay, I think uh, Eugene was this nebbishy Woody Allen type. So when Jonathan and I came up to Vancouver and saw the wall of casting, which is everyone's headshots and their character names beneath, it was like, that's not a Woody Allen. <laughs> and it was such an, a great choice because I don't know how Woody Allen would have done in that particular role, and he was uh, unavailable. Yeah, we were very lucky because every single actor brought something so unique to the role and made it not only their own but really made it interesting. We really lucked out across the board, both in the casting we did down here and up in Canada.
This is Unit 13 requesting medical assistance and backup for a major traffic accident. Kimberly, what's going on? This is one of my favorite shots in the movie because I think it's one of the best examples of how you can composite a multitude of images and effects into one shot and really sell that those people are in dire straits. Flames were added in the front windows to obfuscate the lack of dummies inside. And actually, this was a lot of fun. We wanted to set up, you know, people seeing this movie thinking, oh, it's going to be, again, a group of teenagers, and then they survive, and then when you see them die right here, you're like, oh, boy, all bets are off. Mm -hmm. Like when Janet Lee gets it in Psycho in the first 20 minutes, and you're like, oh, God, what's this movie can do anything, apparently. Right, and I, I also like the fact that it helped distinguish us from the herd of other, like, dead teenager movies that had come out and were going to come out. Exactly. Suddenly we had a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds having to work together, and that, to me, makes the movie much more interesting. Yeah, we were really interested in getting just different demographics, getting, you know, a mother in there, which you, you never see a mother in peril or pregnant people in peril. Or a little 16-year-old six, <laughs> Timmy. Who yeah. was originally written as 13, but for some reason people didn't want us and to kill us 13. And before, yeah. 13, <laughs> before, and before we acquiesced to 13, I think it was 7. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. No, I, think, I remember. He originally he was like 7 or 8 years old. Like, we can't kill Timmy at 7 or 8. That's too much. Would you mind... Telling me what happened. It was like I was there. This was another scene that was really interesting because it this is the second time uh, where you really sort of have what happened in the first movie sort of be regurgitated again, but in the context of, ooh, it's just a scary story. Does anybody really believe this? Um, and I, I love the fact that our no longer nebbishy Wooden Allen-esque actor is the one who delivers it in a really fun kind of ghost story, campfire kind of way. Yeah, I actually can't even picture what we originally wrote, uh, the Nebishi guy playing that role now. You needed a commanding figure like TC. Mm -hmm. And TC, everyone up there was so great. I mean, mm -hmm. it oh, was they just were all great. Yeah. amazing set. L Linda Boyd over there, who plays Nora, the mother, she was so amazing that, uh, I mean, certain scenes, I believe, had to be cut because her reactions to her son's death were just so powerful. Right. That it, that it really, it was just disturbing. It, <laughs> it took, it took the, it. Yeah, it took the fun out of the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was just too damn good. Yep. So what we're trying to say is that kid's going to die. <laughs> if you uh, not, not to give anything away, though. Well, let's be honest. I think the, the fun of this movie, you know everyone's. Cause, hey, These two, that's the both fun. of those guys, they're dead. Know. He He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> they're all dead. <laughs> Please. There was one survivor. This is Craig Perry. My relationship with Eric Bress goes back to college, oddly enough. My uh, first girlfriend ever, uh, Kathy, was making a senior thesis where she was the producer and Craig Perry was the director. I'd never met Craig but she would come home very upset every night going, Craig, is he's making me do so much work, and then my sex life would just be ruined. <laughs> so I didn't know who Craig was exactly. But ultimately, he actually did come down one day for it because there's a very small bit in the movie where you walk up and deliver a line in my student film, which is rather entertaining. But we actually fell out of touch for about six years, if not a little longer. And then uh, someone who was working at our offices read a script that I think both of you had written, mm. and you came in, and you and I were looking like, wait, you, I, I know you. Yeah. 
Uh, and then we realized how sick and twisted these guys were. Based on the movie that these guys wrote and directed called The Butterfly Effect, which is probably going to be coming out this fall. Based on that script, we signed them and started working with them. And uh, we heard a lot of takes for Final Destination. That's the really interesting thing about doing sequels. You think, oh, they're just ripping off a sequel. It'll be really easy to do. We heard over 70 different versions of what this sequel might be some of which were the stupidest things you've ever heard in your life, you know? It's like, well, Alex Browning is now into extreme sports because he's cheating death, and I just want to kill myself. <laughs> it was the dumbest fucking thing ever. But then these guys came in with uh, an energy that was fun, uh, some of the uh, sort of a black comic humor uh, and a sense of irony, which really, I think, elevated the material. And their notion, coupled with an idea that Jeffrey Reddick had, who had come up with the original idea, we synthesized them and were able to finally, after about a year of looking, come up with something that we thought was worthy of going forward with, and hopefully you'll agree. Rube Goldberg was an interesting inventor. <laughs> People use that expression all the time in very Rube Goldberg-esque. Rube Goldberg was a Pulitzer Prize-winning cartoonist, sculptor, and author. And what he would do is he would draw these pictures of wacky inventions. He was caught up in technology and showing how we devise machines that are very complicated to do simple things. So he would draw a cartoon of all these pulleys and wheels and cogs and arms designed to basically squeeze juice out of an orange. Yeah, it was almost more like he tried to build a better mousetrap. But I also think that everything he did is very applicable to the death sequences that you guys came yeah. up with. Oh, here, here's our little subtle product placement uh, with uh, Apple. Mm -hmm. Do you know? Yeah, it's really subtle. Yeah. yeah, I think. yeah. Jesus Christ! Shit! I think when you see this coming sequence here, you'll you'll very qu quickly understand why I wanted to hire David Ellis as the director because um, so much of the job of second unit is to orchestrate intelligently a whole different 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 bunch of elements in a scene so that they work together to create interesting and unique angles to capture the action and to come up with action that is fresh and unique. So. I realized that anybody who could do the stuff that he'd done in Perfect Storm and Clear and Present Danger and uh, like the Quidditch match and Harry Potter, et cetera, et cetera, would be perfectly aligned to do this movie, which is all about the set pieces. So we knew we had that part of it totally taken care of with David's resume and his experience. But what we got out of that was um, a guy who so was able to deal with the actors in a very simple and honest way that it really worked out fantastically. You have something to say, okay. don't you? Yeah, I got something to say. On there, you will see on the refrigerator, it says, Hey, E, because this character's name's Evan. And then when you'll see the H pop off... It'll say I. Wait for it. You'll wait, wait for it. Here it comes. It's Hold. coming. It's coming. Oh. oh! And then you'll see I, and that's now, how we'll get it. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. You saw I. Clever. The nipple ring. Uh, yes. Don't forget that. Yeah. That'll had, come back. Well, we you had can to, see the Firebird thing on the back. Oh, oh remember yeah. he was in a Firebird, firebird. Oh, on no. fire. Get it? Yeah. Yeah. Hamana, 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 hamana. Um. <clears throat> oh no. Oh god. Oh, I hate this. This is great. This is when people just freak out. Well. First time I saw it, you didn't have that shot in there. The right. addition, the inside, and just the addition to that shot scared the shit yeah. out of people. Mm -hmm. well, it's great when he turns it on here in a second. 
But this, that's actually a really interesting point. Is there was a whole sequence where he was trying to get his hand out, and he was trying to get the sort of palm olive soap that was over by the light switch, and he accidentally hits the light switch, and his hand comes out just in time before the thing goes off. And we realized, you know what? We were getting such enough of a reaction by the possibility of it going off. We didn't need to play any other cards. And it was a very good editing choice that I think really helped sustain the scene. And this is really the only scene in the movie where we can have a character wondering what the hell is going on. Because after this, all the characters are aware that death is after them. So it's more of a siege mentality as opposed to, what's that over my shoulder? This is one of those brilliant moments where everyone in the audience is screaming, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> you idiot! <laughs> yeah, what were you thinking? Well, Evan never comes off as the brightest bulb in the marquee as a character. Rick, I don't know where he is, and I don't know when he's coming back. Thanks. Now, was smoke added to this later? A little bit later. A little There's bit, a couple yeah. shots, yeah. Like yeah. through the window, mm -hmm. I noticed that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is all done on stage. We actually did this on a stage uh, where they could control all the flames with gas jets that were embedded in the actual floor. Ah. <laughs> See the firebird? And, See the firebird in that shot? And establishing the You are so ring. proud of that firing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Notice he's got his Bill Wall necklace on there. The <laughs> there hook. you go. The hook. Uh -huh. yeah, the, 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 you added smoke coming, all that yeah, right fire there, in the we back. Added that, yeah. It's all added flames and digital hoo-ha. And flames are the toughest thing to do digitally, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Everyone complains. Yeah. Flames, yeah. oh no. Oh, that was just beautiful. It was a great stunt. It was fun to do that today. Yeah, where did you do this? Where did you... We did the explosion exterior in Vancouver. I forget what street it was on. Mm -hmm. They just loaded the cannons in the windows up there and had breakaway glass. What's coming up is a brilliant David moment here. Uh, see, the spaghetti <laughs> shouldn't have done that, thrown that out. Oh, 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 and there's that eye. Oh, look away, oh, and all the girls and, are finally so looking back. I, oh, I get it? Yeah, yeah. okay, good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was great that it stopped, because everyone who turned their heads away, and were like, oh, okay, it was another false alarm. And just with David's timing, boom, everyone saw it. You could not look mm -hmm. away. Yes. So here's uh, where we pay... Uh, Kind of homage to Alex Browning. Yeah. Quickly. Originally, there were a number of ways that he died. Here he <laughs> died by a brick to the head. Mm -hmm. Once it was uh, flesh-eating bacteria. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, uh, uh, a spider bite was another yeah, spider bite. bite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did we also have the blade of a ceiling fan at one time? I think that was no, that was that was how someone was going to die in the apartment. Yeah, I think yeah, that yeah, originally yeah. we gave it to him and then we transferred it yeah, to the other exactly. person. It went around. We tried to find a home for it. Yeah. See, that was one of the fun <laughs> things about this movie is you sit around and think of what are the most bizarre ways people can die. It's sort of like taking the Darwin Awards and actually putting them into practice. <laughs> so there he is. He's dead now. There were drafts that were generated that uh, did have Alex Browning come back, but what we really came to agree upon is that. With both Ali Larder and Devin Sawa coming back, dramatically their characters are at the same place as the end of the first movie, so it was sort of dramatically inert. So we made a decision, well hell, let's just kill off one of them and see what that would do to the other character. No, Mother, just 
Just turn on any station. Well, I don't know how you missed it. It's been on all day. Yes, Mother, Channel 4 is fine. Okay, you know, look, here it is. I gotta go, okay? Mm-mm. I gotta go. ...and reach them. To recap our top story, Route 23 was backed up for almost nine hours today. A record-breaking pileup killed an estimated 18 people. Emergency crews spent hours sifting through the wreckage, hoping to recover any survivors from this tragic... There's a photo by Cheyenne Ellis back there in the background, my daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Families are notified. The camera of a highway patrol car managed to catch... I just thought that would be funny. There she yeah. is watching on the news, and <laughs> look at her. She's all upset because her friends <laughs> just died. <laughs> 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 it's cute. Yeah. And this guy you gotta love. Yeah. He's great. Jonathan Cherry just just hit everything over the park. Shit, I was there, baby. In other news, a freak accident took the life of a lotto winner. Friends say Evan Lewis Ish. was on top of the world after recently winning two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. See, this is interesting too. It's like dramatically we are now establishing the next plateau. Everyone now starts to believe. There's the ambulance. And that's the exact same model same and number. Mm -hmm. <laughs> same exact number. Oh yeah. You <laughs> lots you, of thought went into this. You stuff. and Michael you and Michael Bolton just sat down and the production designer and came up with all kinds of chunky goodness. Chunky goodness. <laughs> There's little Timmy. Yeah. He's not really seven. <laughs> Mom still though tucks him in. And then tomorrow it's off to the dentist, which I know you love. I get some rest. Well, this is something that was interesting too that uh, Gary Capo kind of thought would be kind of interesting, if just not as very an overt moment, but it's a sort of subtextual thing. When the light goes off and you look at how it falls on little Timmy's face, his face sort of looks like a skull, which is something that we actually plan to do. There's a lot of things like that that are just sort of subtle, and they kind of are just sort of there. And this is a great transition, uh -huh. going right from here. Yeah, I saw this nine times in the theater, <laughs> which is nearly as many times as everyone uh, else. The clown. Now, that was Gary's idea, too. <laughs> yeah, and then Gary cost us a half-day shooting. That's too yeah, the freaking clown. <laughs> but what's interesting is people see the clown and they just go, oh, because clowns are freaky and weird. <laughs> you need a scary clown in every movie, I'm convinced. The little hands of. We did. There were a bunch of different permutations of that idea. You know? yeah, it was yeah. originally going to be like a big skull, and then there was going to be explosions or yeah. something. Then we yeah. had airplanes, and yeah. we had blood. Oh god, there was just too much. And then we realized, well, we got sticks. It's going to look weird if it transmogrifies <laughs> yeah, anything else. No, nah, I think at least it looks logical. Yeah, yeah. Look at a Mac computer. Yeah, look at that. Look, it's that's brightly cool. lit. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we spent like an hour trying to figure out what the hell to call the Stony Brook Institution. Yeah. And this is her before the hair color change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was the only strange thing where uh, she she's afraid of death. She won't let paper clips or anything get next to her, but she'll dye her hair blonde. <laughs> hey, how do you know she wasn't blonde initially and then she dyed it brown? Right. Yeah. right. Ah, so you put that cup down. <laughs> My sister loves this because you see white planes up here, and mm -hmm. that's where my sister works. Another nice transition excited. from Mr. Yep. Ellis. Yes. Uh, Ooh, uh, no, I like the one coming up. The actually. French Hitchcock. Oh yeah, this, this one is one of my faves. This mm -hmm. is at Riverview, and it's an actual Looney Bin. Can you mm -hmm. say Looney Bin? Good Nut House. 
Was that like a Cuckoo's Nest? It was an homage to Cuckoo's Nest, to um, Chief, whatever his name is. Yeah. Dan George something. I think I got that the fifth viewing. I'm like, oh, big big Chief. Shoelaces, paper clips, watches, money clip, pocket knives. My DP was Gary Capel, who is um, very, very talented, and he's a DP, second unit director as well. And we've worked together on nine projects, and this was Gary's first, first unit project. And um, he's amazing. We have a real shorthand. He's got a great visual sense, great sense of humor, really fun to work with, and did an amazing job. Yeah, I think, yeah, Gary was, uh, we, were, we were very lucky to get Gary. It was interesting because any studio is always a bit hesitant to hire somebody for the first time to do their first feature film. So, you know, to Gary's credit, he not only convinced them very quickly, like the first week or two, they were like, oh, Gary's great, he's fine. And there was never any question about Gary yeah. ever again. In fact, uh, I had the pleasure of telling him that his name as EDP was coming up on a bunch of different lists at New Line because of the work he oh, did on this cool. one. Oh, that's cool. There was a great deal of debate about how big the sort of collage at her wall should be. Certain members thought her entire room should be filled from top to toe with bits and pieces cut out. But we no, I think you, I think you did the right amount. Yeah. I do have to say that I turned that over to Craig Perry, my producer, and he did a great job. Oh yes, that's right. I went with Bolton. Oh, and, uh, I had enough of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> there was all this dialogue about, it, and I said, "Craig, here you go. There you go. Create it," and it was great. Yeah, colorful and pretty. God, here's yet another scene where we sort of encapsulate the rules, the billions of rules. Maybe if you're real lucky, you'll wind up in here with me. It was tough shooting in this stage, too, in this environment, because it was all white and everyone had to take their shoes off. So we all had little booties and socks so that we wouldn't mar up the floor and the walls as we shot around the actors. In case anyone's wondering, fun tack is what's holding those things in that room, just in case you were wondering if she had, you know, push pins, which would be dangerous. No, it's fun tack. Fun tack. <laughs> Very important. The list. I was supposed to die in that crash with my friends, so you're telling me that I'm next? Michael Bolton was our production designer. He's from Canada. He's a very talented artist. He created some great spaces for us with uh, the apartment and the... Clear's room in the in her insane asylum, and uh, he's great. He brought a great staff, great art director, um, just very talented. I also thought that uh, he was able to bring a lot of clever touches to it in ways that I think went way above and beyond. Not only what we came up with what was in the script, he found a lot of ways to visually cue into the things that were happening and to refer back to things that had happened in previous scenes and really lace everything together in a way that if you're paying attention and uh, there are bits and pieces, I think, the examples of this on the DVD itself where we call attention to it. And it's sort of this undercurrent of, oh, I get it. Oh, look, there's a joke there. And he has a great sense of humor, and I think it manifested yeah. itself in the sort of way the movie looked. Definitely. Why is this even happening to me? That's what Alex used to ask himself. So what am I supposed to do? Clear. Watch out for the signs. What? Have you ever seen anything creepy or ominous 
an in-your-face irony kind of thing. A.J. Cook, right there, our star. She's beautiful. The thing, we, we met with a lot of young actresses, and the one thing that A.J. brought to the role that she really could sell these ridiculous lines that these guys wrote and make them believable and, uh, and, and actually not just cry on cue, but make you believe she's crying for a reason. God bless her. What did I beat, Kimberly? I remember looking at all of those uh, audition tapes that were coming down, and it's just, it, you'd think, you know, oh, it's a simple role, simple girl who's going to, you know, who's got to face uh, death coming after her. And nobody could nail it. Mm-hmm. And then you see A.J. Cook's tape, and it's like, wow, that's Kimberly. Mm-hmm. She's, mm-hmm. she's perfect. Get out. Or you hurt me or yourself. You know what? What? I think you're a coward. You hide out in here because you're too... This is kind of the girl versus girl scene. Originally, there's a huge cat fight thing. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Highway. Highway. Uh, yeah. There's a highway. Now watch this. The finger. Yeah. We got to keep that in. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Got some nice big laugh. We, we did one take with no finger. But the finger won. What's interesting, that finger was shot long before, earlier, and then was... Re, that t- it was a play playback. That was a tape mm-hmm. being played back on the monitor, so we had to time match it perfectly when she exited the door for real, and the playback had her walk into frame. Here's Michael Landis, who was trying to rob her house, <laughs> <laughs> but she came home. Uh-huh. <laughs> now everybody thought it'd be fun for me to drive that car. I'm like six foot three, and they thought it'd be very entertaining for me to drive like a circus clown in the car. So I tried calling you last night, but your father said you were They're surprisingly spacious. Lewis is dead. Yeah, I've been getting calls all morning from everyone who was on the on ramp. We're meeting tonight at my apartment. Wait, so you believe all this death stuff? Well, at first, no, I didn't. Until last year when I was dispatched to clean up one of the Flight 180 survivors. Clean up. The selling this moment with the pigeons is perhaps the most imbecilic, stupid thing in the world, <laughs> and yet, God bless AJ Thanks. for selling, no, for yeah. selling it and making you believe it's real, because it's just on the edge of being so idiotic that it's not going to be, like, a threat, but you laugh, and then when you start seeing pigeons in the next sequence, you start getting really creeped out by them because of the way you guys set it up here. I think this was another pivotal moment in the movie because if people hadn't believed that this was somehow legitimate, the whole thing would have collapsed, but Eric and John and AJ's delivery were able to make it work. Yeah, she changed that up, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she made it up. I love those shots, those bird's eye shots. Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> Insert. <laughs> yeah. Those stunt were... feet. Stunt feet, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same guy that was in the car. This fish was incredibly trained. Watch watch what it does. Okay, and they say lay down. Oh that is so good. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of fish there. Sometimes yeah, it takes a couple viewings to get it right. So buy this DV more than once. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's uh, one of my favorite lines yeah. of the whole movie. <laughs> I think in the first draft, this was, it was way over the top where this, you'd hear patients screaming as you walked down the hall and blood-curdling cries of like a mental institution. <laughs> and Craig had the smarts to go, uh, no, let's just make it like a dentist's office. <laughs> 
the fish of insanity. Wait. <gasps> oh, oh, no. oh, oh my god. Yeah. That's not good. And then, How many times did we go over about does the filter leak? How does it leak? Does oh, it who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, what's that glass? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> screams when I, I mean I don't know. Yeah. Okay, now this whole sequence, we that's another thing we when we sat down and sort of came up with the movie itself. <laughs> <laughs> that, had, that had to hurt. Right? <laughs> that stunt that, vision, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just the idea of us just coming up with a pigeons whacking into a window is just so ridiculous, but, no, but there was, it, <laughs> it works. But there was a bit more strategy. We were like, okay, well, where are places that you don't naturally want to go or that you are sort of enclosed that we could have death come in? And we figured elevators and dentist office, places that you and I go to at any given moment, if death were there, what could possibly happen? And everybody's afraid. No one loves going to the dentist, and it's just a great place for him to be sort of <laughs> subdued and in, and in great danger. I remember at the first screening, there was uh, this guy in front of me, and when you see the kid in the dentist chair and you look out the window and see the pane of glass, he just started screaming. He knew <laughs> that that piece of glass, that just can't be there for no reason. And uh, you could tell, though, he forgot about it because the minute the drill goes in the kid's mouth, he was convinced that, oh, that kid's going to get it right here, right was, now. Was he screaming? <laughs> he was screaming. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is actually something that you added that I love mm -hmm. is where in the next room in a second we'll be seeing when the pigeons get through. Mm -hmm. David, when they're trying to grab it, right. that's funny. Mm -hmm. Now notice the smoke there. That's a little CG smoke coming out of its mouth. <laughs> and the and tear. tear. Yeah. <laughs> was that, that a real tear? That was visine. <laughs> yes, visine. Oh, oh, I love that tear. Ah. Poor and it just goes on. <laughs> That was a near miss, we call it. I love the added feathers. feathers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And Nora, she's so helpful. Yeah, she is. She's just nurturing mother. Food. She's an animal lover. Uh-oh, it's just nitrous. That's no good. Speak for yourself. <laughs> love this. Oh, this is great. This yeah, is, this is great. This, this moment I've seen in every audience yeah. that watch this. With little Timmy's open maw. I said, blink. They go, whoa! <laughs> oh my god, this is so gnarly. And you know what? I think that's the only take where we really nailed it. All yeah. the other ones, like, it bounced off his nose or hit his chin. And... 825 takes. Yes, exactly. That's a great look right yeah, there. Right yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> now that Alice, was, medical complex right yeah, there. Yeah, Name, subtle. Yes, <laughs> like a rubber mallet and a mouse. I'm not doing this for the money. <laughs> I have buildings everywhere. A lot of CG pigeons here. I was wondering about that. No wrangling? Oh, oh this is, what, what's happening? Love this. Oh, oh, no. oh no. <laughs> now, Seven. We, we had to do that twice. We actually had to do that twice. The first time, the there wasn't enough blood or meat, and the little dowels that were in his legs didn't break, so yeah. his body collapsed, and his little legs were still sticking up amongst all the glass. It was all done practically. It was all done for real. We just, again, we did it once. We looked at it and went, hmm, this didn't really deliver what we wanted. So the next time they did it, they actually put 
uh, explosive charges, tons of blood and meat and intestines and stuff. So when it hit and they timed the charge, <laughs> he split in half and like squirted everything out of his innards. So it's a full-size cast dummy mm-hmm. of the actor. And then it's just standing there, and then we just drop the glass on it. A, a real 600-pound pane of glass. So when it hits, it really hits. But it was also designed that once it hit his head and was continuing down, there were charges to break the glass, which would shatter appropriately and just sort yeah. of sell the idea that it wow, hit the so you used to, that was the second one you used, 600. And we only had two, so believe me, if it didn't work the second time, we were screwed. I remember the excitement of Craig. I've never seen him so excited after the uh, kid gets splattered by the glass. That tape was on a loop. (laughs) (laughs) I showed everybody. The second time, that was cool. (laughs) It was the greatest thing ever. I don't think you have it in you to quit either. You notice that visor, that was a really um, (laughs) high-tech effect (laughs) that we had that took about two hours uh, to film. But it paid off. I mean, people jump. It was huge. I hope you're ready for this. It's this way. What's this guy gonna help us anyway? He seemed to know a hell of a lot more about death than he ever told us. Notice how bright and sunny it is in the reverse shot there. Yep. That, that day sucked. It was miserable pouring rain. And then all of a sudden, just when we did the reverse, bright sunlight. This is why Vancouver is a great place to shoot. That was actually, um, the shadow is Luther, who is a very tall, bald prop master. And um, <laughs> at the time, we realized we wanted to get this shot to sell it, and um, we needed someone who would look like Tony Todd. So I said, hey, could you put the wardrobe on his walk in the shadow? He's like, yeah, okay, fine. And here's Tony Todd right now. Now, in the first movie, he kind of provided us with the old man on the mountain where they could go and get information so they could hopefully figure out what was going on to them. And in some respects, he does the same thing here. But, you know, in the first movie, people liked the scene, didn't quite understand, like, who this guy was. Was he really death? Was he not death? And he was very serious. So in order to sort of give the character a little bit more to play with and to give Tony a little bit more to do, we decided to give him a self-awareness that some of the stuff he's saying is sort of dark and funny and give him a sense of humor, which I think manifests itself several times in the version we cut together here. So he is somebody they go to for information, but now he's like... The way that he speaks is so cryptic that they call attention to the fact that the way he speaks is, oh, yes. There's the nipple. We had an insert shot of this, but it didn't make it. And actually, on the first few previews, it wasn't in there. No. And then it was returned, and I was glad that it was Ooh, in the dish. Yeah, we did yes. that. that. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's frowning because she knows that hurts. Now, what's, ama- <laughs> no. but what's, what's, ama- what's amazing is you saw how Tony Todd shoved that dummy in there. That dummy required two people to carry that thing, and Tony is so big and so strong. He just shoved it with one hand right into the, uh, right into the fire. He's... He's actually 6'5". Yeah, 6'5"? Yeah, he's huge. Wow. Yeah. 
And his hands are enormous. I mean, he's got these like really amazingly articulate hands. We also were very lucky to get Tony Todd to do this series because he is famous for being Candyman in the franchise that uh, Clive Barker created. And uh, he's also done a lot of Star Trek, various episodic series work for them. And uh, I think he was also in... Um, Platoon. Yeah, Platoon. That's right. He was in Platoon. This is Eric Bress. My mother took me to see Jaws at 8, which was not good for me. <laughs> and, then, and then, yeah, just growing up, I mean, VCRs kind of came out in 1982, and by that time there was a post-Halloween, Friday the 13th, peak of slasher, prowler, stabbing The burning. Movies. Yeah. Yeah, just anything that Pieces. was violent. Yeah, I think like like every kid, I was like, had my friends over on the weekends, and we'd go and rent a bunch of mm -hmm. videos and sit there and watch it, and just the nastier the better. And I, on the other hand, didn't watch any of those movies. <laughs> I was really into Baywatch. <laughs> That's it. All right, wait a second. New life defeats death. Follow the signs. I mean, where did you find that guy? I know. I mean, I thought he was just to help us, not freak us out. We had hired David because of his, you know, experience and his expertise in you know, executing these sequences, but we really didn't ask the question, hey, dude, do you like horror movies? And then we found out he had never really watched any of them. No. So we gave him a list of things to watch and things to sort of be mindful of, uh, and clearly he got into the spirit of it. Well, it's, cause this movie is like a hybrid. It's kind of like a traditional horror movie. It's like a horror action comedy. Or mm -hmm. stuff. It's just, it's a... I would say huge influences like uh, Alien and Evil Dead, where the first movie is just downright creepy and scary, and it's all about tension. And the sequel takes it to a new level. Aliens is an action movie that's scary as hell. And Evil Dead 2 injected the humor into it where the first one just took itself way seriously. And Evil Dead 2 has always been at the top of my list of like awesome, hilarious movies By that far. are still scary, you know, and that you can mix comedy, black comedy, and horror, and it can be amazing. I can practically taste the water in my mouth. I just wanted to come kind of fresh approach to it instead of trying to do what everybody else has done with the genre and just tried to take the amazing script and, you know, bring it to the screen. Eric Sears is an amazing editor. He did a really, really good job. Which is amazing since he's blind. It's one of the yeah, most it's, impressive it's feats. insane. Yeah. That Braille keyboard was cool, though. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I think one of the things that was helpful is that because he didn't have a background in doing thrillers is that he approached it very much from story and from drama, and um, he was able to keep all the sort of, frankly, confusing elements of the story in tow, in line, and keep the tone right on target. And uh, the practical approaches to the thriller stuff is, I think, where David and he really sort of found a good communication because of David's experience doing the kinds of things that he had not had the experience to do yet. So Eric was great. There's the Braille keyboard. Yeah. Vehicle's a delivery van registered to Marcus and Isabella Hudson. Oh, that's a, that's <laughs> a great that's shot. Awesome. Yeah. She's going to hate you forever. She did. She actually said something to me about it. Too. Me too. After, after the premiere, yeah. she came up. She goes, what the hell was that? That's so funny. It's funny. <laughs> okay, this is also a really funny piece here. Yeah. And this was something that everyone was sure was not going to be in the movie. Mm -hmm. Too good, though. And every time he came on screen, by this point in the movie, people were just, like, laughing and cheering. Mm -hmm. 
that, that was real dog shit. Um, we, the animal trainer brought in a dog for the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got something on it. And this is great because these guys were just riffing, right? I mean, the, yeah, yeah. It's still there, bro. Here, I can get it for you. It's all right. Lot of the I'll do it. Elevator has some crazy characters in here. Yeah, this, this elevator really attracts yeah. the best of the business. Just let I'll let me do it. He's not a really friendly guy, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Rory was just trying to help him. Oh, here's what's great. Here's a here he is. That's he's a bottle. He's a New York police officer so who's got a really nice he's apartment. Got a bitchin' <laughs> awesome loft apartment on his salary. So clearly he's a trust fund cop. No, he's on the take. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a whole story we cut out. Yeah. Is that death was after him because he wanted his cut of the vig. So yeah, exactly. And where did he get that milk bottle? That he must have had a little time machine thing going. <laughs> if what you're saying is true, that means I'm next. This is Linda Boyd, the mom. This is crazy, people. Come on. She was so good. Yeah, so good. Uh, we were so lucky to get Linda Boyd. She's actually one of the premier female actors in Vancouver and actually in a lot of ways in all of Canada. She's won a number of awards for her theater work, a lot of awards for um, her television work, and has been nominated for some awards for her feature work thus far. And uh, this is sort of one of her bigger uh, U.S. film roles, and uh, I'm hoping that she continues to do well. Cat is also um, right there. There she is. That's Keegan Connor Tracy, who's sort of another up-and-coming Canadian actress who's done a lot of good work on television and is starting to get a lot of roles down here in the domestic U.S. Get to a high-rise fast, a place where no subway could ever possibly go. Get it? Okay, you guys, listen. Just because Kimberly has these visions. It doesn't mean that we're not all capable of seeing signs to some extent. Okay, okay, look, I gotta call bullshit. I mean, I've sat here and listened to all your theories and all your stories, and I think it's just all bullshit. Call it what you want. It'll keep your ass alive. Darling, my ass is alive, huh? Has been all day. There is nobody after us but you trying to make us all crazy. No, this was, this was, this a, is awesome. I had no idea whether this would work, but it did. <laughs> Uh-oh. And you were so clever in getting the uh, close-up of that eight-ball keychain earlier in the film. Thirteen ball. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it th- oh, thirteen? Not just an eight. Just get the hell away from us. She's the only one that's dealt with this before. We need to look out for each other from now on. Sleep in shifts. We need to save-proof this death trap. And he's got like an outdoor store inside his place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is in the background there. That's our is production designer in the Michael background, Bolton, Michael Bolton, who is actually playing Sheriff Perry, <laughs> which is named after Craig Perry. Oh, really? The producer, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's yeah. Awesome. What about that outdoor store though? He's got. <laughs> yeah, he's got everything. I think his in that. dad owns, uh, you know, what, <laughs> Sports Mart or something. Yeah, it's like that. Big Five, big right five, at his yeah. house. Yeah. Oh, Nora's got a bite before me, anyhow. Huh? <laughs> Oh, you people have no sense. He's uh, throwing out all his liquor bottles right there. Because there's possible danger in the flammable mm. liquids. There was a really long sequence, I imagine, of like a uh, of everyone going through this montage of safe-proofing the apartment. Uh, and I think there's a scene very much like it in the first movie, so there was no crying when it hit the cutting room floor exactly. and they just no. kept the story And it, it also, there was, 
It's such a long time to be in this apartment. Yeah, that was one, of the, forever. Big, one of the big boondoggles of this developing this movie is once they're here, we got to justify getting them out of here. I mean, originally, yeah, it's like 10 minutes in an apartment, and you're wondering if, you know. Who's going to die next? We want someone yeah. to die yeah, now. We, it's time. You know, it's, how long has it been? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? What are they doing? Talking? Look, look. I control my life, all right? I almost think that horror movies are just like, right now, people still love to be scared, just smarter. Something smarter. I think there is a little bit of a backlash because we had so many teenager sort of slasher movies come back that I think right now anything that's just a little smarter. Or a little different. I mean, I think that Final Destination 2 was different because it treated itself as a fun ride and it wasn't as serious and it wasn't as pretentious as some of these other movies. But in the same breath, you have a movie like The Ring, which didn't sell the gore, and it sold totally the atmosphere. Yeah. It sold holding the shots and making the things, you know, things creepy as to what might enter the frame. It's just a wholly different dynamic, um, and I think that there's a whole school of films that um, use that uh, that are equally as viable. And then there's the whole stuff that we do with Final Destination, that this this series, which is equally as viable. But the slasher stuff really does. You know, you have to you have to reinvent it and do something different with it, or it is just. A guy in a slicker and a rain mask and cut at, at the camp. Chainsaw. At the camp. Yeah. <clears throat> the chainsaw, which can be fun. Coming up soon. But it's not a game. That's right. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, oh, <laughs> See, this is people just kind of look at the the audience kind of goes, huh? <laughs> we don't. We make a little point of it here. See the hands. Get, get it. And everybody gets into an elevator with a guy with prosthetic arms. Yeah. Okay, now this, it took us forever to figure out how, you guys wrote it, and they're like, what we did Honestly, you guys we had no idea how And I called you guys, it. how did you envision this being shot? Fuck if we know, you figured it Yeah, ask David. Can't hear you, do you're it. not coming in clearly on my cell phone. Yeah. Uh, so we actually, I think David and Michael Bolton and I kind of figured out that given that everything had fallen out, there may be a way that we could have things stack on top of each other that could create this shadow. And Michael went home that night and fiercely put together all these contraptions that in sort of structuring it would look like with the light behind it, there would be a shadow shot, you know, shadow well, thrown. Before. That's exactly how I pictured it. But what's, <laughs> <laughs> but what's great is I never thought it would work, but at the first preview when the audience saw it, we were like, ooh, I'm like, fuck me, it worked. Yeah, <laughs> oh my God. This guy just right. did, s- smelled our hair on his oh, own yeah. and we just uh, kept it in. Yeah. <laughs> And that always gets a laugh. That, oh, it's great. That, oh, no. Hello? Nora. Who is this? Nora, can you hear me? Uh, Officer Burke, I can't, I, I can't hear you. What? What, what, what is it? What? A man with hooks is going to kill you. What, what? Oh. What is it, Nora? This is another thing I wasn't sure, you know, David, we spent a long time trying to figure out how to orchestrate getting her hair to catch and in a way that was believable. And I think that, you know, what we shot and what you and Eric edited together really does sell. And this just gets a great oh, reaction. Yeah, that, that, that's a drag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First yeah. time I saw this with an audience, watched the whole audience just shift at mm-hmm. the same time. <laughs> <laughs> this apparently happened oh. at the... Syracuse University. This was a either an urban myth or something that actually happened, and uh, where so to tell the kids not to mess with elevators. I remember when I was there on set. She must have spent Linda Boyd spent what two days straight in this position, yeah, (laughs) screaming, screaming, getting different amounts of blood to come out. Mm -hmm. Oh. (laughs) 
And this is where Linda's a good sport. That's really Linda. That's really good. She was amazing in that she would be in there all day. You would expect her to come out pissed off that she had to be stuck in this horrible position, but she loved it. One of the fun things about the first preview is I followed a group of people who had gone out, and the elevators at the particular mall where we'd had the preview, they weren't quite working. Like The door kind of shut, then it opened, and it kind of shut again, then it opened again. And the people who were in the elevator and the people who were sort of sitting outside kind of looked at it and said, fuck this, and they all went for the stairs. So I clearly knew there was some impact the movie had had because the people refused to take the elevator. She's got to chillax, bro. Okay. Now listen, he says Oprah here. Give me the gun, Listen. Eugene. No, 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 Eugene, don't do it. Don't do it. Eugene. Where's Oprah? <laughs> it's coming. Oh, my God. Right here. You hear me, Oprah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You hear me, Oprah? <laughs> so, who truly does? That is, is awesome. the real puppet master. <laughs> That's, I will never see this movie the same way ever again. Exactly. Um, Keep it loaded. Well, there was one element that there just wasn't time for. But uh, when the guy tries to shoot himself and it's all duds in the uh, gun, just that led to the concept of being invincible and that death was actually on your side. If you dove out a window of a sky rise, somehow, some way, there would be a truck below with mattresses. Because on death it. has to maintain its order. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you're not next on death's list, you're fine. And that was something that really just didn't have time to make it into this movie. But, you know, for three, I think, you know, there could be a lot to play as around. As well as because as soon as, like, later on in the movie, when they're going to the hospital, there was this whole huge action sequence where they're missing cars and other stuff because they are not next on the list. But it just seemed like this is car chase the movie, car wreck the movie, whatever. Yeah. So. so let's get to the end. Yeah. Another great transition there. Yeah, exactly. Look at me. <laughs> this I love. Notice he's pointing <laughs> yeah. the gun right at her. <laughs> the dumbest deputy ever. S subtle. The His name is Officer Steve Adams, who I'm just throwing props out to my homeboy growing up. Steve Adams. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Marcus. Marcus, when I get out of here, I am going to sue him. Oh, my God. What? What now? My water just broke. What? My water, it just broke. I'm going to have my baby. No, not here. No, you can't do this to me. Don't just stand there. Get me to a hospital. Just give me a second to think. Um, I am not going to have my baby uh, in a jail cell. That, it's, that line gets such a great laugh. I'm not going to have my baby in a jail cell. Uh, 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 Justina Machado, uh, <clears throat> who plays the role, uh, is fantastic. In terms of why she's pregnant and everything that she does, I don't know. Um, it just was something that she came in and had a, a different sensibility. It was able, I think, to deliver both the dramatic stuff and have a sense of humor behind it, which I think she demonstrates quite significantly on Six Feet Under. That's really what, you know, she does a really good job with that kind of a balancing act. So uh, she was able to do everything we needed to do, and she's great. Justina's awesome. Well, not the first time I cheated. Obviously, in the first movie, that we used the John Denver songs to great ironic effect. And uh, kind of wanted to play that card a little bit in this one with the Highway to Hell from ACDC. Uh, but after a certain point, you realize that, you know, you have to, you don't want to actually, you know, play too much like a teen movie and have it be all like, you know, cue happy pop song as kids die, tragic death. And then every once in a while, particularly in the scene in Evan's apartment, it gave it a different kind of energy. And it was more just a function of keeping the movie from becoming similar to each other subsequent scene and really distinguishing, I think, the character a little bit, too, because that music was something that he put on. Just ten seconds later, I'd be dead, too. Oh, my God. 
I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I got one too. It's like, uh, okay, so last May, I'm supposed to go and stay at this cheesy little bed and breakfast in Pennsylvania, right? So this was another sort of scene that was cause for great consternation because you know we have a long scene in the apartment and then we have a long scene in the car with people talking. And there was a lot of debate about do we cut it, do we leave it, do we cut it, do we leave it. I'm actually glad that we left because I think that in the end of the day, the fact that the characters figure out how the first movie is connected to them and their lives just brings the whole thing full circle. And uh, I think there, there's – I've always seen it when an audience understands that there's a visceral like, oh, I get it. So it just elevates the piece a bit. Yeah, and we had, to, we had to shoot this twice, actually. The first time yeah. we ran out of time and ran out of road. Yeah. And the road that we had was, like, oh. basically going off-road. It was bouncing everywhere. So we found another separate place to do when it. When you were shooting this, wasn't it also there was a rain? Or was that when you got there? It was the first the... day when we went up there to yeah. shoot this thing, it was, like, Thailand in the, in the storm season. It was <laughs> horrible. Monsoon. Oh, God. Muddy. I think I was, that's, that's when I started to get sick, I think. Mm-hmm. This is the only explanation that people can't quite figure out, that the teacher moving and got stabbed and right. something like that. I can't figure it out either, but it works. I, lo- I love that. <laughs> I love that line. The night I scraped up Billy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the sensitive cop right really... there. <laughs> Our sensitive cool. big five cop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's hard to shoot six people in a car. Yes. By yeah. the way. But this is all production sound, though, right? It is all, yeah, it's yeah. all production sound. There was no looping done, um, which I think we kind of had to make that choice because it would be so more consistent. But yeah, it took forever to shoot this because you've got every person singles, then you have two handers and you work your way back, and there's no room for the camera and for the operator, and it just sucked. Didn't you like have this crazy camera contraption where it's on this huge arm that can push in through the windshield and back or something like that? No. <laughs> the super techno crane? No. No. Well, no I think we, we had it on Matrix. We had five of them. Mm-hmm. But on this, we, no. <laughs> no. And this one, we had Gary. We had Gary with an arm. Mm-hmm. Two arms and, and a camera. And Wait, was he um, in the car or was mm-hmm. it? Was yeah, it was hold up, I'm saying because you're just getting definitely more coverage than going yeah, back. Handheld. Yeah, looks great. I guess everyone must think that. I gotta say, as Jonathan and I were writing part two, basically the mantra that would get us through it is those poor motherfuckers who gotta write part three because <laughs> we've used up every possible household appliance on the block, and that was the trick is. Not saying this is what could happen if you were on Mars, but this is what happens in your day-to-day life. What happens in your kitchen, your bathroom, you going to the dentist, an elevator, an escalator. Just things that are so commonplace that the hope was that anyone leaving the theater would be scared of their own homes and just the household devices that they can't escape from. And... When, by the time we finished the script, we were like, oh, my God, there's nothing left. We can't think of anything. We're, we're totally screwed if uh, anyone wants a new death. We're, we're done. But in the past year, I don't know, we've... We've come up t- with a, probably about another 10 or 11 really good ways to kill people. So. Yeah, at least. There's a whole other backstory behind this tire breaking, that tire bursting here. They used to be, they picked up this thing because a squirrel was running into the street. <laughs> yeah, the squirrel with an acorn that fell off. And then it was a, a, tra- uh, a whatever, a tractor trailer, one of those auto transporters. Mm-hmm. Right. And then about 10 cars go down the hill after them. Now this whole sequence we're about to get into was the biggest sort of boondoggle of the entire production. It took us days. We had tons of work to do. It rained almost constantly. So you know, oh. every individual shot you see may have been shot five weeks apart. 
bits and pieces. We had to do pickups all over, and uh, the end that was shot what, toward the end of the what, show. That, uh, the pole coming through though was CGI. Correct. Yeah. Really? Everybody yeah. Right? Yes. Uh oh. There are a couple moments where the audience is so freaked out. I remember these collective silences, like during that sort of uh, bird's eye crane up from the top of the car. Everyone's just stunned, silent. This was a hard thing, too. It's like, well, we just had this terrible crash, and yet we still need them to move on to the hospital. Right. Reporting a vehicle collision off 9A at the 180 mile marker. Send all emergency vehicles to the scene. This is another transition that David did that I kind of like. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. <laughs> Hitchcock. Yeah. So say the so say it the French. <laughs> what I love is that he's also seemingly has a farm with Tim McGraw, which is really yeah. exciting. You know. Okay, this is really funny. This is cute. Yeah. And this 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 kid was great. I think it's okay. I don't smell any gas and, and none's dripping. Okay, all right, get this thing off me. Just pull, hurry. Okay, okay. okay. be careful. Ready? Um, okay. Ah! Oh, God, Jethro! Jesus I like how Jesus. she calls him Jethro. <laughs> that was ad lib. Dad! I think, no, that was, didn't no, Craig? No, no Craig, did you, Craig came up Craig, with that. Yeah. The thing I like about New Line is that the whole studio was sort of founded on an understanding of how genre movies work, going back to when Bob Shea was usually taking, you know, Prince of um, Reefer Madness. Thank you, taking Prince of Reefer Madness around and started the company financially that way, and it was sort of the house that um, that uh, Freddie built. Exactly, and the tradition has continued. The one thing I will say is that uh, Bob has a great nose for franchisable ideas, and this was one of the things that he personally supervised and pushed through the system. And uh, It's a great place to work. Yeah, no, it's like a family. Richard Brenner, B-R-E-N-E-R, <laughs> and uh, Toby Emmerich, amazing. Support. And Matty Moore, all good guys. And uh, really, the studio's been incredibly supportive. Daniel Belcastro and Eric mm-hmm. Holmberg. The entire team at New Line were, was so great, and they made it such a good experience, and they were so collaborative, you know, and not overbearing as a studio, and um, really listened to the filmmaker and really supported the filmmaker. And I would do every film there if I could. So it was great. And again, they do understand horror movies and all genres and how to position them and how to make the most of what the idea is. When I die, we did cut this scene out, but luckily we put it back in. Yeah, this, this yeah. conversation formerly took place in the apartment, which, again, was getting but too But the long. audience loves that scene. I know. I, just good wish, I wish we had the time to get the coverage that we yeah. needed to do it, to really sort of tighten it up. <clears> well, because we thought we'd never put it in, so we didn't yeah. even cover it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to appease Jonathan, who was, like, probably No, bummed it wasn't that. even that. It was like, you know, we... we it's a scene that kept getting pushed off as we were running out of time because it's the one truly expendable scene in terms of the story, but it adds so much to his character that we've, you know, let's give it a shot and at least get it for him. And we had the time and we did it. I don't make that a decision alone. I make that decision with Craig. You know, Craig and I collaborated every day on this project. And then some of that is driven by how we do with the test audience. And some of that is driven by studio concerns. We get notes from them. And then you try to just fight your fights for the one f- to keep the things that you really want and um, pick those fights so that you're not fighting all the time. 
And then also listen to other people's ideas because, you know, I'm not brilliant. And I got a lot of great ideas from everybody else. So it's really collaborating with the creative team that you have and deciding what works. And then you listen to your audience as well, you know, and what works for them or doesn't work for them. And one thing about this whole sequence here is we had locked the picture on a Thursday. And then David and Eric Sears and, and, and Richard Brenner and myself, just, we kind of went to the editing suites on a Saturday and quietly broke the reel open again and completely re-edited the sequence without telling anybody to sort of redo this beat here with the airbag. And I think that it became a lot better once we sort of really focused on why it wasn't working and took advantage of the things that were working. But Absolutely. And this whole thing was was reworked originally too. How, when, and how the gas poured. Mm -hmm. So it really made it more exciting because everyone thinks her cigarette. Now all oh, that yeah. flame was that flame CGI or was that like? It was both. Wait, both. Yeah. Wait, wait for it. Now this is great. Yeah. Oh, it. that's why Daddy <laughs> rides the pony. <laughs> <laughs> Best effect in the movie. Oh, it's yeah. great. It and we, that's just not right. It's <laughs> <laughs> not right. We did that. I mean, it was just sick, first of all. Thank you, guys. Um, but we did that with um, Jonathan in a green suit, and then the appliance was his entire torso, and it was broken into three parts against a green screen. And he was actually on a, uh, on a wire, so when, he, when the bits fell from underneath him, <clears throat> he could easily fall away and fall down and make it look like he could really let himself go and know he wasn't going to face plant. Yeah. Uh, and it was just funny because the legs would quiver and then fall to the knees. And we actually cut it back a little bit because yeah. originally the torso fell forward and all of his innards went <laughs> out all over yeah. onto the ground. And that was a bit much. Now it's tasteful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how about Bill? Oh, yeah. Bill Terzakis? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a talent, man. I, he is amazing. He, he did the special makeup effects. Yeah. Yes. All the things of little Timmy getting squished and the arm sizzling in the potato salad at the end and a whole host of other disgusting and rather wet ventures. Rory getting sliced in three. Exactly. Now, yeah. the interesting thing about it, you think, oh, it's just easy. Well, actually, it's really complicated to come up with the various ways in which you can dispatch somebody with any degree of, uh, of realism because it's not something you just automatically think up. Oh, this will work. You have to try it and test it and see if it comes together and work with visual effects and with David, the director, and everybody else to sort of make sure that all the elements come together at that point because there's nothing worse than when you have an effect that doesn't work on the day. And the arm doesn't look like an arm that sucks. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. The thing about Bill, too, is if you go to his warehouse where he does all of his work and it's 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 almost like a, like a battlefield. There's body parts everywhere and there are these monsters sticking out of crates and it's really a lot of fun to go and visit his workshop just because it looks like a bomb went off. Here comes Craig's shot right here. This is really cool. The squeegee. Yeah. Huh? yeah. Oh, how about that? <laughs> that just moved that shot right along. Mm -hmm. Dr. Kalarjan up here now. Dr. Kalarjan, code blue, delivery room six. You know what? I'm just going to wait outside because I'm really just kind of in the way here. We did this shot about <laughs> 10 times because she kept pulling his fake tie off. Yeah. <laughs> we added that shot later. Because we didn't have any transitional moments. <laughs> Well, actually, well, that's because we kept the scene different. Yeah, this whole sequence uh, has huge story runners that we actually boiled out of it to sort of speed it along and keep things moving. Oops. Uh-oh. Oh, oh, no. That hurts. That hurts. Oh. Dr. Palagian, in here. Hurry. Oh, that's her. 
push the button. Push the button. Figure after the first elevator experience, yeah, they'd be more inclined to take stairs. <laughs> That's a good point. We carried that stupid breathing apparatus all over the place. <laughs> yeah, we did. Now this is like that was uh, Eric's idea. The Eric Eric Sears' idea to have it be that the machine was going to go off because originally there's an entirely different way that Eugene passes on. Eric, you know, is great because he'll sh even with the limited opportunities that I gave him to change the picture, he would show me ways that we could change it in a great way. And and then it, com then it comes down to fine-tuning it. You know, can we take two frames out of this shot or ten frames out of this shot or can we speed this shot up a little bit or slow this shot down or push in, you know, this shot I don't like. You know, I wish I had a shot it tighter and also we'll, we'll digitally, you know, move in on the shot. Actually, I, I got to say that Eugene, it was interesting talk, because Eugene spent the whole day in bed for this. Yeah. And when he got out, he was exhausted yeah. because he just had to stay at this emotional place for like seven or eight hours on end. And, it's, and at the beginning of the day, it's like, oh, Eugene, you're going to an easy day today. At the end, he's like, kill me now. I can't take it. I need to know what the baby's all right. It's a boy. Shirley Walker is an amazing composer. Um that we were blessed to have on the film. She did the first film, and um, just amazing. She's great. One thing I love about Shirley is uh, she's actually the first woman in Hollywood history to uh, compose and orchestrate a feature film score for a major studio, and that was Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which is interesting to know that it took that long for it to happen, but she is the first. And she played keyboards on Apocalypse Now, the soundtrack, so she has a huge and long and interesting history in the music side of Hollywood. And again, it was a true blessing to have her be a part of this movie and a part of this franchise. Kimberly. What did you see? I don't think Isabella was ever supposed to die in that place. Now, if you'll notice that she, her lips are a little bit uh, blue. Uh, blue, yes. And that's crazy. Ooh. That's subtle. <laughs> It was really hard shoving that camera through her eyeball, but uh, <laughs> we got it down. And she did those underwater scenes, right? And she had mm -hmm. a... Amazing, because she's claustrophobic. Wow. And that never is... never done scuba diving before. Hates water. Mm -hmm. And it's one of her sort of primal fears of being trapped in a car underwater. So, of course, she <laughs> so takes the role. Only new life defeats death. What is, what is that supposed to mean? You saw an ECG machine and what else? Bloody hands, what else did you see, Kimberly? Wait. Eugene. This is great. Nice. Yep. Actually, when you first shot this, you just, you were so excited because the body Got hit that. the camera. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Almost broke the camera, too. Yeah, yeah. you see yeah. that. Oh, the housing all fly <laughs> apart. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. But there was a beat here when uh, AJ was backing up and she stepped on one of the logs that was burning because they used those Duraflame logs to have the smoke and stuff, and her pants caught on fire. So she's there acting, and we're watching. Hey, wait, is she on fire? Okay. Bloody hands. It's, it's me. The premonitions are about me. What? Ash cart, let's go, move it! Clergy and 
Let me see G machine. <laughs> okay, I love the fact that this lake is about 20 yards away from the back of this hospital, but you know, you do the things you need to do. We took a door to the lake. It was great. Is that how you, you, yeah. that's how you got Yeah, we took the whole hallway. The whole hallway facing down, we took to the lake and had the doors that could slide. What is it? And that was tricky. Craig came up with that, the new life for a drowning victim to stick behind his head because we had to tell the audience, we had to... Solidif yeah, yeah, telegraph. <laughs> Tell him one more time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Get Galarjian. Now, another thing that, um, the flowers that you smell from the dangling uh, air fresheners, originally there's a huge idea of a misdirect because the pregnant lady has a flower truck. And so there's a beat where earlier we cut it out the line, which says, and I was there and I smelled flowers. It all tracked through, but now that was cut, we just sort of streamlined things down. You must have loved this, though. The running dive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What an action. Yeah. Action hero. The water Michael was Landis. like minus 30 or something. Oh. Yeah. It was so cold. Oh. And that was him? He did it? Or was it a stunt oh, diver? Right. He, he did all his own stunts. Yeah. Yeah. I'll and uh, actually, Kimberly, um, AJ, drove the van <laughs> right. right into the water. She's great. <laughs> Uh, Ooh, that looks cold. What's amazing is how fast He's the pissed. how fast the car actually went under. It took like 22 seconds for the entire thing to hit really? the water and go down. It went down so fast. Wow. A little whale-like spout here. Did you it? have any um, uh, cinema, yeah. underwater cinematographer in there with it while right. it was going down? You, yeah. Yeah, and you'll see there's one yeah. shot that was in there. Uh, that was done in the pool. Mm -hmm. That was done in the pool. But the was, POV coming yeah, up. Yeah, the POV coming It was actually shot in the lake itself. That means point of view. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually in the lake um, as the thing was actually going down. Because that lake's yeah. about 300 yards deep, and they had it all tied to tethers so we could retrieve the ambulance from the lake. Yeah, this wait, that was done in your test pool here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all this in the but, pool. But the other shot was, yeah, a little greener. Yeah. 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 So did she have a scuba mask or something? There's a scuba it? guy behind her that's hiding that when she needs air, she just puts her hand back and he gives her the... Um, Regulator. And yet another thing to add on top of it, with her contact lenses out, she can't see a <laughs> she thing. She can't see a thing. So, uh, so was, I'm on a speaker that's talking to her underwater. I'm really warm up top and <laughs> <laughs> telling her which way to look and what to do. The water's freezing. What was she saying? Was she saying anything specific when the bubbles are all coming out of her mouth? She's just uh, laying air out. Get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> Only new life can defeat Oh, here comes a different shot of the, uh, that. I love that. Just mm -hmm. a different angle, right, isn't it? On the kid getting mm -hmm. squashed. I know what I have to do to save us. There are no known survivors. I have to die. Now, in the first preview, they actually left. We, we stayed on black a little too long, and well, people started, started applauding. Like, no, the movie's not over yet. <laughs> <laughs> still got some time. I'm like, well, if they're applauding for that, we're in great shape. Ready and clear. Uh, and it all starts to make sense Clargian. now. Uh, EKG machine. Get, get it? She's back! Epinephrine, two milligrams, IV push. I want her prepped and stabilized for ICU. Welcome back. 
there used to be a lot more dialogue between the two of them here, and AJ was like, okay, I just came out of a near-death experience. I'm not chatty, you know, and I don't think I'd be talking. And she was right. It was actually a better scene with her just sort of reacting to him being there and being utterly exhausted. So it was a good call on her part. How many different versions of this scene did we do? Oh, yeah. The best different. finale ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there, there were long talks. Right. It used to be a 15-minute uh, scene where they talk about plumbing. <laughs> and the history of pants. Yeah. <laughs> There's Jethro again. And there was a, it's interesting. That I think you and Eric cut about five different versions oh. of the scene together to try and meet out the most. How, the, how does the information come out? Where do you put the music? Where do you put their reactions? And you were kind of rushed when you shot this that day, weren't oh, you? Oh, yeah. Every every single that you see on people here, every single shot, we had to move the table across <laughs> this field to find the sunlight that would match. So we'd do, we'd do somebody's take, and then we'd say, okay, everybody, and we'd run and pick the table up and move it like 40 feet and then shoot the next person's thing because we were just running after the sun. It was very late in the day. Did you shoot the explosion first? Oh, mm-hmm. what? Brian's a great cook. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Oh, oh, there oh, goes Brian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, but here comes the best. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's all David Ellis genius right there. there. Mm-hmm. And this we, we had to fight to keep that arm in there. Yes. Yeah, we had to fight, but it's the best. To me, it saves the movie tonally because it makes you realize this is not to be meant to be taken too seriously. It's supposed to be a sense of fun because otherwise if it's a pretty dark little movie. No, it's just supposed to be a bit and it's a fun ride. Yeah, this is uh, my uh, a guy I've known since I was 11 years old doing the uh, song for the end credits. His name is Jude. The first test screening we had for this movie was a really interesting experience because we kind of had a lot of fun and went nuts shooting the most over-the-top violence you could possibly imagine. And even though this was a movie that was designed for that kind of an audience, they sort of said it was too much. So we actually slightly, in very slight ways, pulled back a little bit on certain elements of the different kills and uh, our test numbers went through the roof. It was really interesting to see how that can impact the overall feeling an audience has for the movie. That coupled with some elements of pacing and some of the deleted scenes that you can also see on this DVD and uh, the reasons why we extract them help keep the pace up and uh, ultimately I think the movie really benefited from having the testing process. I was really nervous, especially when I saw a lot of people in the crowd were like 85 years old and I thought that maybe we didn't quite get our target audience. But um, it was cool. I mean, it played really, really big, but then the results weren't as high as we thought they would be. So we made some changes and it worked. And we also did recruit a much more specific audience and demographic, which we actually, yeah, we told them they're not going to see Peter Pan. Yeah. (laughs) You know. The first one I saw, I think it was actually the second screening, but there was a rumor that had broken out. Everyone thought they were seeing Dreamcatcher. So I think there was this huge buzz, we're seeing Dreamcatcher, we're seeing Dreamcatcher, and none of these people knew that they were in for this. So at first they were like, oh, it's not Dreamcatcher, but almost instantly 
they got so excited and I've never seen an audience like ready to pull seats out of the theaters. It was like, a, I really thought a riot was about to break out in the theater. They were so pumped. No, I see, and I went, first one I saw was the one after that. And that was probably the best movie-going experience I've ever had, where just hearing people just scream their heads off, and I was just laughing to myself the whole time, so it was great. The issue with violence in the movie, actually, was something that we never even considered. We knew going into it that we were making an R-rated movie. It was never a question of ever even beginning to become a PG-13 PG movie, so we said, hell, let's go for it. Let's make it a throwback to the movies that uh, we all grew up with that are so unbelievably violent that they're almost on the edge of being over the top and that you laugh, you get, you react, and you have a great time with it. Uh, and I think one of the things that people appreciated, and I know from having seen the movie play with uh, like the Fangoria audience, we went to the convention, they were thrilled with the idea that we didn't pull back, that we mm -hmm. delivered exactly what we said we were going to deliver, a nasty, exactly. in-your-face, over-the-top, kick-you-in-the-balls horror movie that didn't pull any punches. And I think it's this, one of the biggest strengths of the movie. And interestingly enough, we had absolutely no problem with the ratings board at all. No problem yeah. at all. No, it was more of like people go to these movies for a reason, mm -hmm. and we didn't shy away from any of it. You know, I'm, just, I'm so glad that the ratings saw that. That's what people are going to see a horror movie to scare, get the shit scared out of them. Right. And most movies do cut away from the impact. <laughs> right. You know, leave it. Ooh, it's scarier in the viewer's imagination. Mm, bullshit. <laughs> it was awesome to watch all of this stuff and and. How David got the most gory elements just <laughs> yeah. to fly the mind. It's funny because I wasn't really into horror films, but then I realized just really how sick I was <laughs> <laughs> after I started to get into it. Because then I started saying, let's keep going, let's go over the top. Yeah, that's We can always pull it back when we edit it. When, yeah, um, when, my, <coughs> when uh, my first friend saw the movie, they were just like, you guys just show everything. Why don't you just show them? It's like you never cut away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was, yeah, I think that's what separates it from a lot of other movies. If you go online to any of the uh, Yahoo threads or any of the other internet chat rooms, that is one of the main things that they say is that, you know, say what you want about the movie. It is has a weird integrity. It has a very consistent integrity about what it's going to do, and it <laughs> brazenly wears that bloody heart on its sleeve. So. so there you go. This is David Ellis. Thanks so much for watching. This is Eric Brest taking you into the midnight hour. Stay tuned. <laughs> Kelly Moon's coming up. <laughs> this is Jonathan Gruber signing out. Craig Perry, thank you very much for taking the time to watch it with us. I hope you at least had some laughs because I know that we did. And uh, hopefully if everything goes well, uh, you'll be seeing Final Destination 3 coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs>